0: I can't see anyone else smiling
1: this is Greta Van Fleet and you're listening to 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. This is the 2448 show hosted by Adam Brown produced by Connor Smith.
2: 24 48 show. My name is Adam Brown. Your producer and mine is Connor Smith. Connor, how are we doing
1: today? Man, I'm absolutely ecstatic. Just immaculate, you know, clinched the SC West this weekend, so I'm having a good time.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, there were two clinchings of divisions this weekend as Tennessee was not able to uh, even do their part against Missouri. It ended up not mattering because Georgia handled uh, Ole Miss with ease, but that was definitely disappointing. From a Vols fan perspective, Um, Connor, the thing that is concerning about that game is that is back-to-back years um, where Tennessee had a lot to play for and no showed in November.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just it's a continuous list of losing not only in November but on the road in general for Josh Heupel. I saw a stat that this year alone between Alabama and Missouri, the Vols were outscored fifty to nothing in the second half. So. They they can't play well in the second half on the road. November it's just it's a it's a big red flag, honestly.
2: Yeah, it, it's something that Josh Heupel is going to have to get figured out sooner rather than later because um, it, it's it's shifting from a coincidence thing to a pattern thing because now we have and and some people might disagree with this but the pit game on the road last year was kind of a no show, um, Tennessee could have easily lost that game, and then one of the best Tennessee teams we've seen in the last 20 years would have had um, a week two loss on the road. Um, And then they lose to South Carolina that year, essentially knocking them out of the college football playoff. They go on the road this year and put themselves in a hole in the SEC East early with a no-show at Florida, and then they turn around and keep themselves in the race with a good win against Texas A&M. They go on the road and beat Kentucky, Uh, but then when it matters most, they no-show in Columbia. And next year, Tennessee has Arkansas, Georgia, and Oklahoma on the road. Those are not easy places to play. So this is something that this staff is going to have to get figured out sooner rather than later. And, by the way, in the in the second week next season, they've got NC State in uh, Charlotte. That's a neutral site game because it's going to be played at uh, the Panthers Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. Tennessee travels well for those early season games. Um, you know, neutral site games, but that's in NC State's backyard. Um, so that's that's not that's not Neyland the same as going to Arkansas and going to Oklahoma isn't Neyland. So this is a problem that, like I said, has become more of a pattern rather than a coincidence, and it's the biggest red flag so far in the Josh Heupel era.
1: Yeah, well, something that really concerns me looking at, at Saturday's game is, I mean, it was still somewhat close, even in the fourth quarter. But at, at some point, it seemed like the Vols just gave up because they, they had the pick six. They went three and out gave up a score the next drive. It's like at some point they just said, you know what, we're not going to win this game. Let's just stop trying.
2: And I think that's why these losses are so frustrating is because it's, it's even with the bad game they were having, they were still in it. Um, it never felt like they were in it, but mathematically they were still in it um, just because of the few – the couple of strengths that Tennessee showed on Saturday was enough to keep them in the game, which means they have enough on that roster to win that game. That's not an excusable loss. Alabama's an excusable loss that hurt because you were up by two touchdowns at halftime. This is an inexcusable thrashing that you just went and took against a Missouri team that you had the same record as, but you were better than at the end of the day, and I know that's hard to say after you get smacked and you know ran out of the stadium, but if you look at these two teams pregame, on paper, Tennessee's better. And so there's really no excuse to go on the road and get beat that bad. If you get beat in the fourth quarter by one score, that's fine. The spread was three points, at, I think, before kickoff. Mm-hmm. It, if, it may have been even less than that. That's fine if you get beat by one score at the end of the day. But going in there and getting dominated, that's n- that's not okay. And And the only thing I can think of is it's <coughs> on the coaches because yeah. even the thing – like we said – Last week, Tennessee's running game is going to get theirs. Like, we know that's an elite running game. They were nowhere to be found. The O-line didn't show up, and that's the second time that they haven't done that on the road this season, and so it's it's becoming more of a pattern, less of a coincidence, and it's one that needs to be corrected. Yep. So, here is the good news. That game continues the red flags with um, on the road with Josh Heupel, but... If you want to look at it big picture, this is a tweet from uh, Chad Withrow after the game yesterday. He said, today's game was a complete failure for Heupel, his staff, and every player. I said before the season that this season was a stopgap quarterback and a final season would define Tennessee's floor. And if eight and four, sorry, if eight and four is the floor, I'm good with it. The question now is 11 and two a year ago, the absolute ceiling. And that may be true. We don't know yet. I think that's a very good level-headed response on a night where you you didn't see much of that. And I think that's a good if, – if you could take a step back and fast forward five years and look at from Josh Heupel being hired to five years from now, I think there's a pretty good chance that this single-year transition from Hooker to Nico is the floor. And it, it very well could be eight and four. And eight and four is a, a – Fine place to have a floor. Like that's not a like that eight and four is a success for most college football teams. Yep. It just hurts this Tennessee team because it seems like they have the talent to be better than that. But big picture, if this is the floor for this staff, and I think this staff needs some changes and we'll get into that, but if this is let's say let's just say Hypel, if this is Hypel's floor at Tennessee, I'm fine with eight and four being the floor because how many years are you hitting the absolute bottom? Not very many. There's not very many years that you're absolutely hitting your ceiling either, unless you're Alabama and Nick Saban. So being between eight and four and Hypel had them one game out of the college football playoff and next year we're expanding to more teams, so it wouldn't be irrational to say that Tennessee is going to be in that expanded playoff picture year in and year out mm-hmm. as long as they're not hitting this eight and four floor. So that being the case with the playoff expanding as long as here's here's and, and this ties into our titans side of the show as long as Hypel is willing to do what he needs to do with his staff and prioritizes the team and the future of the team and the program over whatever loyalties he has to the people on this staff tennessee's going to be fine and that's a little bit of encouragement mm-hmm. on a week that vols fans are probably not Feeling the best unless they're big basketball fans, because Dalton Connect looks serious.
1: He's a dude. He's he is that guy.
2: So up next, Tennessee has Georgia. It it doesn't mean as much as it would have if um, Tennessee had won and Georgia had lost. Um, Tennessee takes zero momentum into this game like they would have had they won in Missouri. Um, And so, really, this this weekend comes down to pride. It's solely a pride thing because if you lose this game and you have to hear it from from Georgia for another year, they don't care whether or not you were playing for the East. All they care about is what that final score is, and they're going to hold that over your head for another year. The fans are going to hold it over fans' heads for another year, and they're going to hold it over your head in recruiting for another year. Kirby Smart can easily say to whatever recruit he wants to, like, yeah, that's cool, they have a good offense and everything, but we beat them every single year. So how long are you willing to let that go on if you're a Tennessee player or you're a Tennessee coach? This weekend is fully on pride, and it should matter. It doesn't matter that you can't go to Atlanta. It does not matter. This is a Georgia team that has beat you multiple years in a row, back-to-back national champions. They may be ranked number one in the country when they come into your stadium, and you have to show up. And I'm not saying you have to beat them, but you for sure cannot no-show like you did last week because another important thing about this weekend is the home winning streak is on the line. Tennessee has one of the highest home winning streaks in the country. They have, lo- they have not lost at home since Georgia two years ago. That's a big deal, and it's on the line this week, and that needs to matter. That needs to matter to every single player dressed in orange on Saturday. That has to matter, that you have a home winning streak that you have to protect, and it matters that you have that streak at Neyland. That's an important thing. That's a pride thing, and this whole weekend comes down to how much do you care. And you've got to find it somewhere. You've got to find it somewhere mm-hmm. to care because that pride and that pride in your home turf, your home field, that should matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not—it's—it is about pride and all that. But at the same time, your team is mostly sophomores and guys coming back next year. You got to build something for next year because this year disappointment. I think we can both agree, a disappointing season. But you have a lot of guys coming in next year that would play in again. You have to build something and build confidence going into the off season.
2: And let's say, let's go back to that. You know, bigger picture thing. Let's say you finish this season out strong, and you build some momentum going into next year. Let's say you get a decent bowl game, you win that bowl game, you get the extra practices with those sophomores you were talking about. Nico gets more reps before next year, practice reps at least, um, and then you take any any kind of momentum you can find in the mm-hmm. next season that looks like it should be promising. If uh, Tennessee can uh, get some help in the portal, yeah. Uh, so let, let's say we zoom out, and that happens and then in the next five years Tennessee is wildly successful, this season isn't going to be looked at as a disappointment. Failure. It's not going to be looked at as a failure. It will be looked at as a bridge year, which it is. And it was a bridge year that had enough talent to maybe shake some things up. But at the end of the day, this is a bridge year. And that needs to be kept in perspective. So if they can make this a successful bridge year, that will be how it's remembered rather than a failure where they lost to Missouri and they lost to Florida. it will be it, The remembrance will be, yeah, they lost to Florida and Missouri, but that was a bridge year, and look what Hypel did after. And that's what the goal needs to be. And I get that that's maybe hard for, um, for seniors uh, because you don't get to be a part of that moving forward, and maybe even juniors, but that's where the pride comes in. That's where the we don't lose at home comes in, and you want to keep that streak alive because it should matter to you.
1: Yeah, well, not, not even that. You mentioned the seniors and juniors that probably won't be able to experience that. I mean, if you go in here and you lay the foundation, you can say as a junior or senior, you could say, well, if they went a Natty in three or four years, you can say, well, you know what? I was part of that team that built the foundation that, that got you where you are.
2: Absolutely. There's there's players that uh, were here in Heiple's first year that stuck around after the Jeremy Pruitt fiasco, and they were part of the initial turnaround. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them say stuff about that in, in interviews and on Twitter. That matters to them. So mm-hmm. there's, there are still things to play for here, um, even if you're not going to Atlanta. And for, for a, a gap year team, here, here's the thing. This is a gap year team that had a shot at Atlanta. So that's a great sign, <laughs> Yeah. Something that's not a great sign is the way they perform on the road. That needs to be fixed. Something that's not a great sign is the way that this secondary plays week in and week out without Kamal Haddon. That's a bad sign. Willie Martinez needs to be out of there this offseason. I said that, what, six weeks ago? I was on that yeah. six weeks ago. <laughs> now you start seeing people on Twitter like, man, why do we still have Willie Martinez? He needs to be out of here. And they're, they're saying to fire Tim Banks, which, like, I'm not – has his defense underperformed? Yes, yes. Is there many offensive coordinators that want to come in and coach a defense that might be on the field four times in three minutes? Maybe not. But at the end of the day, you'll be on a successful team, so I'm not really sure how much stock to even put into that. Um, But I I guess it just comes down to who you can get. If you can upgrade Tim Banks, I think you do so. But this isn't like a consequences firing. This isn't like a – we have no other choice, you're fired. If, if you have a guy that you can upgrade there, then <clears throat> then do it. Willie Martinez, that's a consequence firing. Yeah. that he needs to be gone. Uh, Tim Banks, I, I think there's arguments to be made where he's taken a spot that is a defense that was in a terrible spot and they have improved year on year. and if you keep him around, there's no reason to there's no reason to think that won't continue. Um, but the other side of that coin is he's got what I think the best defensive line coach in the country and Rodney Garner, um, and that D line has allowed the rest of the defense to play a little bit more freely and has bailed them out on occasion. Um, I, I don't see any reason the D line shouldn't continue to play at a high level next year. They may or may not be as good as they are this year, um, but I, I think next year will tell you on Banks. Yeah, Is he able to take another step forward? Because he has. Every year so far under Heupel, the defense has gotten a step better every step of the way. So are they able to take another step this offseason? If the answer is yes, then you really don't have a reason to get rid of Banks. Martinez, he yeah. needs to be gone. That's a diff- That's a completely different conversation.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's a little um, unfair for, for Banks because, I mean, he has some dudes up there in the front seven, but the DB coach – He's awful, and I don't care how good your front seven is. If you don't have have the dudes back there to to defend and give them time to get the quarterback or make a, make a difference, it's not going to matter.
2: And and the thing with Martinez is he was bad when when Butch Jones was here. I and we talked about this earlier in the year. I saw that hire and I was like, wait, that Willie Martinez? Like from when Butch was here, Willie Martinez? Sure enough, it's that Willie Martinez. And sure enough, this secondary has been um, unacceptable. Is the is the best word. Uh, is the best word for it so far. But moving forward for this Tennessee team, you have a lot to play for. Um, You have the the bowl game coming up, and that will be huge for guys like Nico to get more practice reps in before next year. Um, and, And here's the biggest thing is on Saturday we talked about the Neyland winning streak. A big reason for that Neyland winning streak is the fans and the environment they create at Neyland, and they're going to be there on Saturday. I guarantee you the fan base will be there on Saturday, even in the face of the Missouri loss. The fans went to the BYU game after Tennessee lost to Georgia State, and then the fans showed up for the game after the BYU game where they lost to BYU in the last two minutes. They so always do. they will be there on Saturday. They're going to be behind you. So don't let them down. Do not let them down. They will be there. They will have your back. You have to have theirs and at least show up. It just, just show up. You just can't no show all they're asking for is for you to put up a fight. And this, this Tennessee team has the guys to put up a fight against this Georgia team. I swear on it, whether they do it or not on Saturday is what we're going to find out. Yeah. So coming up after the break, we have found a way here on this show to circumvent the phone issues that we've had here uh, in the center for innovation and media at MTSU Um, We have MacGyvered the phones, and we will have our first guest when we come back. Junie Riddle of 102.5 The Game will join us, uh, and we will break down all things Titans, so stay with us.
0: Looking for something to keep your Wednesday afternoon occupied? look no further than The Crash on 88.3 WMTS, Murphysboro. With a shifting weekly theme, we play everything from indie rocks to hyperpop to video game soundtracks. My name's Taylor, and you can find me live every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. WMOT presents Raider Replay, a concert to celebrate the 50 years of MTSU's recording industry program. This concert includes music from The Secret Sisters with special guests Josie J. and Anna Grosh. Ticket info can be found at RaiderReplay.com. Doors open at 630 with music at 7. Hope to see you there on November 21st at the Tucker Theater.
2: Hey guys, what's going on? This is Adam Brown with the 2448 Show. Every Monday night at 6, you can join me and Connor Smith as we break down all the football action 24 hours after NFL Sunday and 48 hours after College Football Saturday on WMTS 88.3 Murfreesboro. Welcome back to the 2448 Show. I'm your host, Adam Brown. Your producer and mine is Connor Smith. And we have Junie Riddle on the show today from 1025 The Game. Junie, how are you doing today? Doing good, Adam.
3: Thank you for uh, allowing me to come on. I appreciate uh, talking to a new audience, talking to some Titans, man.
2: Absolutely. We appreciate you doing it. So, here's the here's our take on the Titans so far this season. We've been pretty consistent, is that Will Levis looks impressive, but does not have the O-line that he needs to win any meaningful games this season. But the word tank is kind of gross. We, we don't like that here on this show. So, what how how do you have a mindset if you're with the Titans of this season is probably not going to be a success without giving up? So for
3: me, I think once you made the move from Ryan Tannehill to quarterback Will Levis, it was all about the development of him. Um the way I look at the Titans, I know a lot of Titans fans Had some hefty expectations. They felt that, you know, the injuries last year kind of held this team back, and that was the prime reason for them losing seven in a row and losing that final game to Jacksonville uh, and ultimately missing the playoffs when, you know, they were right there to make it. So, you know, a lot of people were coming in with high hopes. For me, I looked at what the Titans did this offseason and felt like, you know, they were trying to to piece together a season to, to extend this run that they've been on for the last couple of years, one extra year when everything was telling them in 22 that it was kind of over. So, you know, they came into the season with the mindset that they were con- going to compete. Clearly, they are not. So I think once and now that they have moved to the rookie quarterback in Will Levis, it's really all about seeing like what young pieces you have and watching these guys in certain moments in the games that are remaining on the schedule to see what they have, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are things that Titans fans uh, can be hopeful for and what kind of moves can make this team a competitor. So for me, this season as it stands right now, I, I think it would take a lot for the Titans to, to make the playoffs. I, I could see them kind of making some noise with, you know, having more home games. Cause we've seen this team play better at home than they do on the road. So, you know, maybe they do kind of jump back into the conversation late in the year, but I, I don't think it's going to be enough. So to answer your question, uh, I, I really do think that it's all about seeing what you have this year what pieces can be added in the off season and and what are the strengths and weaknesses of these young players, like a Will Levis, a Tajay Spears, a a Chigakonkwo, a Traylon Burks, guys that they're going to hopefully rely on for years to come uh, and see how they can improve on those players and get assets to really bolster this roster.
2: So you touched on something there that um, scares me a little bit and it's the, the Titans making some noise down the stretch a little bit. And with Mike Vrabel, At head coach I feel like you're always going to be some sort of competitive um, but I don't think this roster is in a position where they can afford to have anything outside of a top 10 pick as in I think this is a bottom 10 roster and if they outperform that number and maybe get a higher pick like somewhere in the back half um, that's that's not what this team needs Um, so the the personal fear for me looking at it is if they decide to wake up a little bit uh with these home games and they outperform maybe the the actual talent they have on this roster they won't get the help they need in the draft so and and I and I,
3: I see what you're saying here but I think it's more important for these young players especially a rookie quarterback to build confidence in something to look forward to and to be hopeful for going into the 2024 season that's what i think is more important because what would you rather have would you rather get a top 10 pick uh, and have your quarterback's confidence in shambles and, and kind of and wary going into the 2024 season or would you rather kind of get maybe a middle of the road pick somewhere in the low teens uh, kind of like you did this past year and, and then come in you know feeling very confident with the quarterbacks you have I would choose the latter. I would rather Levis kind of reel off some wins here in the back end, kind of build some confidence. And here's why in particular and why I'm not as worried about the Titans being a top 10 draft pick selector is because number one, you know, they built this roster up really when John Robinson was still at the helmet GM and they were still picking in the teens, and they still found very valuable players uh, in that area in the early years in 2016 and 17, 18, 19, when they went and got Jeffrey Simmons uh, and AJ Brown, Brown and company in that big draft that that led to a big pop-off year uh, in 2019. So I feel like this team Should try and win as many games to get these guys experience and confidence and and leaving the season off with a good note. And another reason about this, too, is like this is one of the biggest quarterback classes that we have seen in a very long time. Like it would not surprise me if more than five quarterbacks go in the first round. Teams just, you know, needing somebody, wanting to take, you know, somebody off potential. Maybe they have an aging quarterback that they would like a guy to sit behind. I think that there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken. I, I could see easily three or four taken into the top 10 so some of those big top 10 prospects that normally wouldn't be there outside of the top 10 i feel like potentially could be this year with how antsy and and, and the anticipation that some of these teams have with some of these big quarterbacks coming out of college
2: so i, I think we're all in agreement here that the the weak spots would be the o-line and wide receiver and and for me personally i don't think chig has shown enough so far um, to where I feel comfortable sticking with him as what you're solely relying on. Um, so moving forward with the, the the good thing about the Kevin Byard trade was now the Titans are either first or second in overall cap space this offseason. Um, the O-line is a hard position to target in free agency because if a team has a good one, he's probably not a free agent. So the free agents are either someone that the team doesn't want to pay or someone that wasn't very good. So I feel like O-line has to be a draft target. So what position group do you think the Titans target with this massive amount of free agency dollars that they have going into this offseason?
3: Mm, that's, that is an excellent question. Um, I mean, I think any, any of these four positions the Titans should go after because I'm all about building your roster – about game-changing players and game-changing uh, positions. And I feel like with the, what we've seen with Will Levis in, in these three starts, I feel like you can kind of see that there is something there. Uh, you know, is, is, is his play perfect? No. But, you know, everything around him is, is, is honestly kind of awful, if, if you ask me. Uh, no run game, receivers dropping balls all over the place. So, you have that. You have that positive looking forward. So, let's take quarterback off the board. You talked about offensive line and receiver. I'm going to name you two other positions that this team needs that uh, might be a little bit underrated as well corner and edge rusher. Because right now, this Titans defense, as you know, bend and don't break as it is, and as solid as they can be statistically. Uh, they're not making splash plays. We're not seeing a bunch of sacks. We're not seeing interceptions or tip balls or res- or you know the secondary just completely taking away a team's uh, opposing number 1 wide receiver. We're seeing a lot of those too. So for me if I'm the Titans, I would I would honestly I would try and get, you know, you know saying the best player available is the easy cop out answer, but for me, you know, you 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 have another Uh, year with deandre hopkins next year so he'll still be on contract i agree with you on chig i I don't think he's the answer but you know what could we see from josh wiley kind of going down the stretch that could be something interesting uh to take away another need there but you know just depending on where the titans are i mean if they're there to go uh and and get harrison jr uh marvin harrison jr I, i would i would go and get that kid in a heartbeat uh, and I and I kind of been comparing it to this if, you know, the way that the Cincinnati Bengals were with Joe Burrow, I believe his rookie year, they were only a three win team and they were picking in the top five. And that year, Penny Sewell was coming out of Oregon and everybody was talking about how this is the best tackle draft prospect that we have seen in, in the last however many years. And the Bengals passed on Penny Sewell and they ended up drafting Jamar Chase and what did they do in his rookie year. With with Joe Burrow having his guy, they went on and they went to the Super Bowl that season. For me, I feel like the league has changed uh, to the point where you know receivers are are one of the most important positions on the field, and I feel like if the Titans do their homework correctly, getting an offensive lineman maybe in the second and third rounds uh, would be more of a a, a valuable pick than. Than you know, using that first round pick where they've kind of swung and missed on guys before. So if it were me, I am going and getting Will Levis a true certified number one wide receiver of the future, uh, because I feel like that that's kind of the direction that the league is going towards and that that will make the biggest impact going forward.
1: Uh, yeah, Zuni, you know, you're talking about getting Will Levis a receiver. Um, what guy would you target in the draft? Well, Mar- Marvin Harrison
3: Jr. If they're going to be picking that high, unfortunately, uh, I don't know if they'll be picking that high or not. We're just going to have to wait and see. But if that guy's there, I mean, that's a that's a surefire number one wide receiver. I, I would be taking him. Um, also, the the tackle out of Notre Dame. I've seen a lot of good things out of him. Again, it's just, it's just going to come down to the best player available. There's so many holes on this team, whether you're talking a line, whether you're talking wide receiver, you know, edge rusher, corner, you know, they need them all. So it's really about finding the best value wherever you're selecting and then going and getting that guy. So if you're picking in the top five and everybody else is wanting to go quarterback and Marvin Harrison Jr. Is sitting there for you then you need to go and, and get that guy because I think he's a surefire wide receiver. And I think that uh, at this time in the NFL with where the league is at, I feel like that having a guy like that, a game-changing wide receiver, would be more important uh, than, than going out and get offensive line because value-wise, you can go and you're, you're more likely to hit on a wide receiver early in the draft and you're more likely to miss on an offensive lineman. So I think you, if you're picking... You know, in the top ten, right outside the top ten, you're still going to have a high pick in the second round, and you can still use that pick to go get somebody. Um, and, and to the point that, uh, you know, y'all were saying about free agency, you know, Mike McGlinchey for the 49ers, he ended up signing with the Denver Broncos this past year. I do believe that there will be some, some high-caliber offensive linemen, and I feel like going out and getting veterans and then drafting guys in the second and third round, letting them develop – under under some veterans and maybe kind of build your line gradually that way that's what i would do but if you're asking me point blank what position do i want to go get i would i would want to go get that wide receiver one and and marvin harrison jr is is a thousand percent on on the top of the list for that
1: uh yeah my second question is um you know most of the talk is about offensive line and, and receivers for will levis I also think that the secondary needs some work. So, would you go through like like the draft process or like a free agency or trade for secondary?
0: Hmm.
3: Again, that's. I mean, that's all going to kind of come down to, you know, who's available. Like, you know, what teams are going to be, you know, selling this off season. What teams uh, are, are not going to want to be be paying some guys. I would have to. I'm not yet in diving into the draft and diving into you know free agency yet, but. Uh, you know, Patrick Sertan, I mean, for the Broncos, I know that his name was out there uh, as a potential guy to, to go out and get. And I know that, you know, the Broncos got a big win over the Chiefs right before the trade deadline. And then they started, you know, kind of rescinding all of those rumors that were kind of going out to the media. So um, I, I feel like some of those guys that maybe were rumored around the trade deadline, like a Patrick Sertan, could be available. Uh, you know, Justin Simmons for the Broncos are are really good safety. He led the, he, well, he was tied with the league lead with six interceptions last year. Um, you know, he might also be available, you know, with Kevin Byard gone, getting a big time safety like that could, could also help. It's just, it, like I said, guys, it's, it's all about value. It's all about what you can get where you're drafting who's going to be available and with all the money and all the free agents with with henry coming off the books with Tannehill coming off the books uh, a lot of these older veterans they're going to have a lot of money to play with and it's going to be up to you know Rand carthon and mike vrabel to to map this out and say listen first offseason with us together didn't go so hot we went out and we were kind of you know in the in the discount line we were shopping at goodwill picking up all these you know these teams backups whether it was arden key or Aziz al or daniel brunskill um you know all andre dillard like all these guys were backups so with the money that they're going to have in free agency they got to find what's the best bang for their buck uh and really kind of position themselves uh, when it comes to the draft and finding the best value and again i'm just going to keep pressing that over and over again what is the best value for this team to make a big turnaround because when you're playing a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal this is go for it time the cycle has now reset so it's up to the titans for this offseason which i think is going to be the most pivotal offseason that they've had in the last you know five six seven years Uh, to really try and bolster this roster and see if they can make a big jump next year.
2: I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mike Vrabel basically working with the discount line last offseason because there's been a lot of uh, Titans fan base talk about blaming Vrabel and moving on from Vrabel and Vrabel Patriots rumors. To me, none of that is very fair considering that Vrabel is always going to have you competitive and B, he just hasn't had the guys that he needs to be successful. So the blaming Vrabel after a year removed of firing your GM, I think is completely uh, unbased because firing your GM signifies that the person that has been over personnel has not been successful and has not done an acceptable job. So to me, it's unfair to then the very next year, less than a year removed from firing that GM, you're going to immediately start blaming the head coach. So I, I think the fan base needs a little bit of a reset on a expectations and B priorities moving forward.
3: Uh, I think I think it is a bit of a of, of a give and take, Adam. Uh, and I, and I'll say this about Vrabel: H- has Vrabel been dealt the best cards? when it's come to the, the player personnel. No, I mean, no, he hasn't. And, and I think that you could kind of carry that excuse, you know, last year with, you know, John Robinson's line and John Robinson's players and the, in the decisions he made, you know, especially, you know, hyphenating the AJ Brown trade to Philadelphia before the 22 draft. I get all those things, but you know, when you're the head coach and the ownership chooses you over the GM, uh, that kind of puts you in a higher hierarchy automatically because you're the more senior, uh, you know, you're the more senior guy in the organization than Iran Carthon, who is just now coming in, getting his footing in the league, uh, hasn't ha- hasn't been a GM before, so you know, automatically Vrabel's going to have more say until Carthon, you know, kind of proves himself a little bit. I just think that that's going to be your natural thought process. So looking at these moves. And seeing, you know, what was done, I feel like a lot of these moves had to have Vrabel's stamp of approval. So if we're going to blame John Robinson last year, you kinda gotta put some of the blame on Mike Vrabel this year because again, you know, I I feel like him being the you know, the senior guy in the building, I felt like Rand Carthon coming in and Amy Adams Strunk pushing this collaboration, collaboration. Well, I want you two to work together. Vrabel had to be the one that said I want to keep Tannehill I want to keep Henry I want to keep this veteran group and I want to you know have one last year to go after it because I felt like our season last season was derailed by injuries and not lack of productivity from these veterans and he was wrong and so now we're kind of seeing the effects of that do I think Vrabel needs to be fired after this year no I think that's I think that's ridiculous but to sit here and say that you know Titans management wouldn't be considering it, seeing that this franchise is at a crossroads, you're getting a fresh start with a rookie quarterback, is Vrabel the guy to pull you out of this losing streak and put you back into contention through a rebuild? Is he the guy to do it, or did he get hired at the right time with the right roster and things kind of fell in place for him? And because of the kind of coach he is, did he get the most out of a really good veteran group? And maybe he is not the guy for the rebuild. I, I mean, I, I feel like that that is – I don't think that that should be out of bounds to think about uh, going into the season. But if you're if you're asking me plain and simple, should he be fired or not, I don't think what he has done to this date is warrant the firing. It's just up to the Titans to know whether or not he is the guy going forward that can lead this team – out of a rebuild and get them back into contention. That That is what needs to be on the Titans' uh, uh, front page of this rebuild.
2: I think that's an extremely fair flip side to the coin. But before we let you go, I guess the main question is, is it fair to expect more than what this team has done so far out of Vrabel considering the position this roster is in that we know is bad based off of the firing of the GM? I
3: think it. I think it would be fair, um, because again, to back to my point that I, I was just kind of reading off there. You know, it was his decision to bring back a Tannehill, to bring back a Henry, um, and and to not kind of you know start going towards that. So when you make the choice to bring back the veteran group that you have been in the playoffs year in and year out, after a year that you lost seven straight. Now, granted, injuries had to do with that. It is it is your responsibility to make sure that that core plays up to the standard under which you brought them back for. So when I look when I look at it from that lens, I feel like yeah, this Titans team has underachieved. Do I think that Tampa Bay is that much better than them? No, I, I really don't. Do I think the Steelers were that much better than them? I, no, I don't. The Colts? No. I, I feel like there was some some games that could have easily been won. And the fact that, you know, some of these veterans that were brought in by Carthon and, and, and by Vrabel and also having Tannehill stay at the helm has cost them games. Uh, and I felt like if if you wanted to move towards the future sooner, it might have paid off earlier. But now that you waited to do that, you're kind of stuck in a hole and this made this season kind of a watch. There was winnable games. Saints game was winnable the colts game was winnable the steelers game was winnable this bucks game i felt like was winnable um and and again it's just they're they're doing things at the wrong times and this personnel and the choices that they made in the offseason are what's affecting this team now uh and so i feel like yes he does have some some uh room to accept some of that failure
2: well Junie, thanks so much for doing this we really appreciate it uh if you want some more Junie Riddle, you can find him at 1025 The Game and on Riddle and the Reporter. Thanks so much, Junie.
3: Absolutely, guys. Y'all have a great night.
2: You too. That was Junie Riddle of 1025 The Game here on the 2448 show. Connor, he made some really great points about uh kind of the flip side to the Vrabel coin.
1: Yeah, you know, it's always it's always great to, he- to hear from him, but you know, his points were very very accurate as always, you know.
2: Yeah, so um Moving forward for the Titans, hit us up on Twitter. Is it fair to expect more out of uh, Vrabel and Carthon, given the position that this roster is in? Or do you agree with Juni that it's on Mike Vrabel for trying to run it back one more year uh, with these veteran pieces? When we come back, we will have our SEC and Titan picks for the weekend. And we've got a Mike Vrabel clip to react to, so don't go anywhere. Hey, guys, what's going on? This is Adam Brown with the 2448 Show. Every Monday night at 6, you can join me and Connor Smith as we break down all the football action 24 hours after NFL Sunday and 48 hours after College Football Saturday on WMTS 88.3 Murfreesboro.
4: Morty, I need you to turn to a boombox, Morty. I need you to turn to a boombox like now, Morty. What's a boombox, Rick? I don't know what that is. A a stereo, Morty. I need to listen to 88.3 WMTS, Morty. They got the best sick, tasty jams, Morty. Oh, okay. okay, Rick, I'll, I'll try. Okay, Morty, just think of sick, tasty jams, Morty. The kind of sick, tasty jams that only 88.3 WMTS can provide. Oh, okay, Rick,
0: uh, think, think of the sick, tasty jams. Uh, uh, I, got I think I got it.
4: Uh, uh, n- never mind, Morty, I found a boombox. Never mind, we're good. 88.3
0: WMTS. WMOT presents Raider Replay, a concert to celebrate the 50 years of MTSU's recording industry program. This concert includes music from The Secret Sisters with special guests Josie J. and Anna Grosh. Ticket info can be found at RaiderReplay.com. Doors open at 630 with music at 7. Hope to see you there on November 21st at the Tucker Theater. WMTS programming is made possible by contributions to our station from listeners like you. Thank you.
2: Hey guys, what's going on? This is Adam Brown with the 2448 Show. Every Monday night at 6, you can join me and Connor Smith as we break down all the football action 24 hours after NFL Sunday and 48 hours after College Football Saturday on WMTS 88.3 Murfreesboro.
0: You are,
4: you are now listening, listening to eighty-eight point three WMC. I, you know, think that uh, anytime you have a quarterback that that shows that type of toughness and is willing to stand in there and you know not stare at the rush, you know, I think everybody, you know, appreciates that and, and values that. And that's not the plan. Said this to our team, you know, since I've been here. You know, when somebody misses a block or, or doesn't go to the right ID or the right linebacker, it's it's not the seven yards you know, on a sack or a four yards on a run that that bothers me. It's the fact that somebody could get hurt. You know, if we don't block somebody and we're handing the ball off to Derek or, or Tajay, um, that that's what bothers me. You know, we can make up the four yards. I, I know somehow, some way, it's just. You don't want to see players get hurt, whether that's the quarterback, uh, the running back, or, or anybody involved. And, you know, just like, you know, if we throw a two-man concept out there between, let's say, Chris Moore and Nick Westbrook, that we did, you know, fairly well. It wasn't like a 30-yard gain. It was a first down that was probably nine or 10 yards. But, you know, Chris's job is to, to protect Nick and, and go and make sure that he's, you know, not getting drilled the second that he catches it. You, you see that. You throughout the league and in college football or you know in a bubble. You know, the same ways that we, you know, flip it out there to Tajay
2: on Thursday. That was Mike Vrabel when he was asked about the protection of the O line on his uh post game press conference. I believe that was today. That was from A to Z Sports Nashville. Uh, Connor, that's pretty telling when his response to the O line's play is that he's concerned about injuries.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never want injuries at all, but with the line playing like that, I mean, they're basically playing like a fly football offensive line, and Will Levis has no time to get uh, anything going. So that's your biggest fear is that you have this guy who is looking like a really good you know, franchise guy, knock on wood, and you don't want him to get hurt and be like, okay, we, we just lost our guy because the O-line is that bad.
2: Yeah, I, that, that's exactly what I tweeted during the game yesterday is Levis would snap the ball and just would backpedal and backpedal, and it looks like that professional – flag football league where the rusher lines up 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and the quarterback snaps it and he just takes off. And the quarterback has to immediately find a way to avoid this guy. And that's all Levis was doing all day was throwing off his back foot uh, and avoiding the rush. Um, So we are going to give you our picks for this weekend, starting with the SEC football slate. Uh, Connor, what is the first game on the docket?
1: We have the mighty Chattanooga mocks coming down to Tuscaloosa to face the Tide. And uh, I'm going to say the Tide rolls, but they don't cover the spread.
2: Um, ESPN is <coughs> not giving me the Alabama-Chattanooga spread. so is, I think is, it was 39. Okay, so Vegas is allowing you to bet on this game. Um, 39. It's a little high. 39 is a little high for a game this late in the season because eventually you've got to – I mean, Alabama has more to play for than – Chattanooga, and it's not like they're trying to install anything or like figure out who's starting where, as if this is a first or second week game. So I do think 39 might be a little high. If it was in the 40s, I would say Chattanooga cover covers, but I think Alabama still covers 39.
1: Yeah. Next game on the slate is uh, UL Monroe at Ole Miss. Um, the spread for this one is, I believe, it was 32 points. I think Ole Miss wins, but does not cover.
2: Man, it is cupcake week. That is impressive. Um, 37 is what ESPN has Ole Miss at. 37. 37-point uh, okay. favorite. Uh, UL Monroe is 2-8, and eight, so I'm going to say Ole Miss covers the 37.
1: That's bold. Um, next up, we have Southern Miss at Mississippi State. Spread for that one is 14 points. I don't think that MSU is going to lose. But necessarily 14 points if you're losing head coach, not having Will Rodgers in there, that's a little high. Um, but I think that they're going to win the game.
2: Is Chris Parsons still starting at Mississippi State, or was that just uh, last weekend? I think he's still starting. Okay, um, I'm a Chris Parsons fan. Give me the Bulldogs to cover the 14 in this uh, end-state rivalry between 3-7 and seven Southern Miss and 4-6 and six Mississippi State.
1: Uh, next up, we have Abilene Christian at Texas A&M. I think a and um, takes care of them, even without Jimbo being in there. That might honestly be better for the team. Um, yeah, go Aggies. Uh, this
2: came at the perfect time for uh, A&M, who will be um, playing without Jimbo Fisher, interim head coach. Uh, I, I think the the thing about this team is they're so talented that they're all going to transfer. <laughs> like, like n- yeah. None of these kids will be on this roster no. next year. Um and so, I, I, whereas a lot of teams this week may have fired them up and they would come out and beat Abilene Christian by 55, um, I think you see Texas A&M come out a little flat. Um, I think they st- – what was the line? ESPN doesn't have the line for that one either.
1: They don't. Uh, let me look it up real quick.
2: So, no matter – just about whatever this line is, I, I think Texas A&M still covers it, but it's not going to be pretty. The, these, these players are not going to be into this – November game against Abilene Christian after Jimbo just got fired. They're, they're not watching film. They're looking at the next place they're going to play football. Um, they're, they're doing transfer portal scouting. Um, while Connor finds that line, the next game is New Mexico State going to Auburn. Auburn's a 23-and-a-half point favorite. It is Cupcake Week, ladies and gentlemen. and um, Wow. What was
1: the line? Oh, I, I couldn't find it. But calling, calling New Mexico State Cupcakes, I mean, they're not like – they're not great. They're eight and three. Yeah, I I think that that spread is way too high. I'll be honest. I think this is a game where someone is going to get embarrassed, most likely. I think Auburn does win, but it would not shock me at all to see New Mexico State walk in Auburn and win.
2: I just like nobody. It's cupcake week, as in non-conference games, and nobody is waking up on Saturday. Like, man, I can't oh, yeah. wait for the New Mexico State Auburn game. That's fair. It, it is. It is cupcake week, and some cupcakes are. Um, some cupcakes are harder than others, and New Mexico State is, um, we'll, we'll say, a viable opponent, uh, but Auburn should still win that game. Um, I, I'll take New Mexico State to cover, but Auburn wins. And then whatever, I don't care what the line is for Texas A&M, they're going to cover it. It's just not going to look very good. Yep. Um, Florida goes to Missouri. Missouri is eleven and a half point favorite. If they play anything like they played against Tennessee, they're going to cover that eleven and a half.
1: Yeah, they're fixing to, to whoop up on Florida. Florida's in a rough spot right now. Um, Offense doesn't look good Graham Mertz so go Mizzou.
2: up next we've got FIU going to Arkansas this is an FIU team that if I'm not mistaken MTSU just manhandled and ran out of Murfreesboro. yes by um point 40,
1: forty to six by the way
2: Arkansas is a 30 point favorite so I'm gonna take Arkansas to cover
1: that I think they win but don't cover because you know 30 points on FIU for most teams would be like okay that's you know that that's easy picking it's easy money. But Arkansas is so bad, I'm not confident in them covering the spread.
2: Up next, we've got Kentucky going to South Carolina. Kentucky is only a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Kentucky covers that.
1: I agree with that. They, They beat down the fake USC. Georgia State
2: heads to LSU. Tennessee fans know all about how sneaky Georgia State can be, but I think this LSU team has nowhere near that amount of problems because Jeremy Pruitt will not be on the field. So LSU Massive. is a 31-point favorite, and I think they cover the 31.
1: They're, yeah, they're, they're fixing to send Georgia State home thinking, what the heck happened to us? So they're fixing to whoop on a, the – are they, are they Tigers, Panthers? they tigers Panthers, I believe. Panthers, okay. But
2: if, if you're security at LSU, if you see anyone that even slightly resembles Jeremy Pruitt, he should not be allowed into the stadium. Nope. The Titans have the Jaguars coming up on the road, which is not a good sign for this Titans team, as you heard Junior Riddle say before. Jacksonville is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. This is one of those weird games where the Mike Vrabel – uh, Magic could just kind of show up, and the Titans could win this game. Uh, but realistically, I think Jacksonville uh, covers the 6.5.
1: Yeah, I think they, they cover the spread. I think they win something.
2: If, if Trevor Lawrence is playing. Is well, he, let's, I'm, I'm not sure if he's playing or not. If he's back, then they cover the 6.5. If he's not playing, then Tennessee's there. got a chance to win this. So, yeah. um, completely depends on Trevor Lawrence for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to win for Jacksonville. But I think it's going to be closer than like, a lot of people think. I think they're going to barely cover the spread. They will win twenty three seventeen something like that but I think it'll be close.
2: That is going to do it for us on this week's episode. Sorry, you the, you forgot the biggest game. I did forget the biggest game, Tennessee and Georgia. I'm I guess that's showing like how avoidant I am of Saturday. It 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 was it was mentally draining. Um. I don't want to pick this game. It, I think Tennessee shows up. I obviously they're not gonna win and I don't think it's gonna be like close in the fourth, but I think Tennessee makes it respectable. Um, I think they lose like twenty four to thirty seven somewhere in there. Um maybe like twenty four forty two. Um but it doesn't get out of hand until the third or the fourth.
1: You know, Neyland's a, a hard place to play, but Georgia's just that good. I think they they decimate the balls and uh as Pat McAfee once said
0: Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's the mean machine in the red and black. Nothing finer in the land than a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan.
1: He's not wrong. They're very obnoxious, but go dogs.
2: You're the worst Alabama fan of all time. You should be kicked out of the fan base for that. That was cancerous. I hate that I even had to listen to that. (laughs) Also, like that is the, the, I don't, I don't have time for this, but that is the like quintessential issue with how terrible of a fan base Georgia is. It's so bad, but (laughs) it's like twenty twenty four thirty eight or twenty four forty two Georgia. It's it's not going to be great, but I think Tennessee at least shows up and shows that they have a pulse. Um, But yeah, that, on that terribly terribly sad and obnoxious note from Connor Smith. Um, That is going to do it for us. I am Adam Brown. Our resident terrible Alabama fan is Connor Smith. We will see you next Monday on WMTS Murfreesboro and YouTube live for the 2448 show. See you all then. God bless.